Hey guys, welcome to Not Just a Hashtag Podcast, presented by Trees of Hope. I'm your host, Nicole Escobar, with my co-hosts, Anissa, Kristen, and Mariah. On this podcast, we will be discussing the epidemic of sexual abuse, its realities, and the unfiltered ways in which it has affected all of our lives. We share our personal stories and how our lives have been restored. While this podcast is for everyone, we do want to let you know that we use several trigger words and this is geared more towards adult audiences. This podcast is for anyone who wants to educate themselves on the statistics behind sexual abuse, signs to look out for, and how to prevent it from happening. So let's get to it. Hey guys, welcome to episode 12 of the Not Just a Hashtag podcast. I am here with all of our girls today. (laughs) How are you guys? We're here. Yeah, Excited. We're glad to be back. I know. I missed you guys. It is really good, the four of us, to be back. So, okay, yeah, we're so excited about this episode and um, we're going to do things a little bit different this time and for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be doing a little mini series. It's going to be a three-part series and it's going to be all connected with the same type of content. And those things are going to be um, issues of responsibility. So who is responsible for your sexual abuse, betrayal, and how that may feel. Because when you are sexually abused, there's a sense of betrayal. And then also denial. And to give yourself some permission to heal. So we're going to dedicate an episode to each one of these issues over the next couple of weeks. So we hope you stick around for each one because they're all so, so important, especially with all of the information that we're going to share today. But before we get into the actual information, we have a current event that we wanted to talk to you guys about. Okay, so we were all talking about this right before we started recording. Um, I was scrolling through Twitter, one of my favorite gross like apps that is so all-consuming so many times there's this account um that this girl runs and people send into her like different things that are happening with them with guys that are really mind-blowing that I think a lot of girls can just commiserate on like guys going insane on them for bad dates and so this girl dm'd this account and the account posted it that's how I saw it She said, hi, sorry, this is random, but I love your account and I feel like I know you. But today at work, I was told by the chef who is older than my dad that he wanted to see me in sexy lingerie. It made me feel super uncomfortable. And honestly, this has never happened to me in a professional environment. So I don't know what to do. Should I tell my boss or let it go? Because it's never happened before. I almost feel bad telling because I don't want to get anyone in trouble or make more work for people. But it really weirded me out. So the account posted it and said, don't let people get away with speaking this way. You should never feel guilty about reporting sexual harassment. You never know how things might escalate. And someone who feels that comfortable making you uncomfortable is dangerous. And then you had girls commenting on that with their own stories of sexual harassment in the workplace. One girl said, when I was sexually harassed at work, physically grabbed, it took me two days to tell because I was worried about creating problems. It was so bad that I had an anxiety attack at work from being uncomfortable that she'd bother me again. Yet, I was still worried about telling. And so then the account posted, teach girls to prioritize feeling safe over being nice. And we all loved that because I know that even just we're taught like you need to be respectful in the workplace, like especially your superiors, you need to make sure that you're showing them the respect they deserve. But it's like if they're treating you disrespectfully, you can't respect that. And so um, Nicole and I were like going over examples of our own 
past work experience being really unhealthy in that way and we were talking about and we've said it before on previous episodes that we've always just laughed and something that I really wanted to state like so like importantly clearly like if there's one thing you get from this little like current event tidbit it's even if you have laughed in the past at things that have made you uncomfortable that should never determine you going somewhere and getting help and getting it to stop because what always kept me from like prancing into HR and talking about the things that happened to me was the reality that I had laughed at things that had been said to me and I felt like okay but I feel like I don't really have a leg to stand on because I'd always kind of just been like okay like I'd never said I'm uncomfortable so don't I have to say I'm uncomfortable before I go to HR and say something but the reality is if you're uncomfortable you need to say something and you know sexual harassment in the workplace is totally like not tolerable under any circumstances yeah and just one thing that I want to point out that is like the thing that just blares at me is that I find it funny that other people women specifically here in this case are taking responsibility of the other person's actions and saying I don't want to get them in trouble like reverse that they got themselves in trouble by saying that to you Mm -hmm. and you're just reporting what they had said it's inappropriate and they shouldn't be saying those things so you should never be taking the blame for someone else's poor behavior true yeah and like one of the main reasons that I didn't go through with actually I I pressed charges but I never went through with going to trial about my cousin was that I didn't want to ruin my aunt and uncle's life I I felt like I would be the reason why their name would be like um basically like slaughtered yeah tainted um and so instead of you know standing up for the reality is um that it was like a criminal act it I felt the one responsible for ruin maybe their lives or put pressure on them financially or put pressure on my parents financially for what that would look like um and so I just felt like I needed to be the one to protect that when that person was the one who chose that criminal act um and it could have been they he robbed a bank and they would still have to feel the burden of that um so yeah very true and so actually that leads us right into what this episode is all about and it is misplaced responsibility Um, every victim of sexual abuse must deal with at some point the issues of responsibility betrayal and denial but they first have to um, take that responsibility that they've placed on themselves and put it on the person who perpetrated them. The person who perpetrated you is 100% at fault. It does not matter your age. It does not matter what took place. It doesn't matter if you walked into a room, if you laid on a bed, if you did whatever. It's their fault 100%. You should not ever take the blame for anything that happened to you. And I want to speak specifically to people who are over the age of 18 who were sexually abused because I hear that often often that I didn't report this because he didn't child or she didn't child abuse me child sexual abuse me and it's like but they they, did they get consent from you to do what they did right so that's my question Mm -hmm. in all cases like if you look at mine Anissa and Mariah in all of our situations nobody asked us if we were okay Mm -hmm. with what they were doing doesn't matter how old we were 
So at the moment your first abuse happens, victims almost always describe this incident as um, just um, I was so confused or I was so scared or I didn't know what I did to deserve this. I mean, I think I, I had those thoughts that crossed my mind and just feeling like a sense of confusion because I wanted to play with this boy. I wanted to be around him, but I didn't want it to go that far. So remember how we had those false beliefs that conversation a couple of weeks ago where we talked about switching that. And those are those are the statements that you need to say, the truth statements, which is like the false belief is, is that I was so confused. I didn't want it to happen. Well, yes, you could have been confused, but you also have to say to yourself, I wanted to play or I wanted to do blank with this person and they took advantage of me. So you have to remember that, that someone took advantage of you. And survivors must begin to understand that they were victims of a crime and not just sin. Yes, sin is so important, right? In, in the economy of God and, you know, if we look at everything in totality, yes, sin matters the most, obviously. But while we're here on earth, sin, um, crimes also matter. And because we have to stride with man and if somebody's done something against us, they should be held accountable for their acts, no matter what their belief system is. So the dictionary defines a victim as a person who suffers from a destructive or injury, action, or agency. That is what happened to you. You have to remember that. It was something that's happened to you that you did not want. And you are someone who, I know that word suffer stinks though, but because we didn't suffer in so many ways, but we did suffer from the actual action how do you okay that, i know guys? what nicole's like, trying to say yeah. um it is like i know it's hard when you hear the word suffering i feel like you have a very specific i do have like a specific word i mean mental image in my mind when i hear like suffering like i'm just like going, a human traffic like i'm just going about like each day like b- the bare minimum but it's like you did suffer you suffered emotionally you suffered mentally like you weren't operating at your maximum capacity well yeah and it may not have been clear at the time in which it happened but you have suffered the consequences of what was done to you that you didn't choose to happen to you yeah and it was destructive suffering has Mm -hmm. occurred whether it's right that you're aware of it or not Mm -hmm. true good point okay so sometimes victims will receive a so-called benefit from the abuser like an attention or gifts protection from others and compliments but the truth is the person who abused you is completely responsible for the abuse regardless of any benefits that you have received i hear this a so lot powerful from yeah. like people who were trafficked and i know that that's a whole nother topic but that's a hard one because they'll say but they loved me well what defines love for you well, they gave me money. They bought me these nice things. They took care of me. They, they told did me they, they loved told me. me they loved me. Well, they also changed you to a bed and forced you to have sex with like a bunch of people, you know, mm-hmm. and that's obviously way more intense and severe. But those are the hardest to break. Yeah. That, and to let them know that that person truly didn't love you because to us, it's so clear that those actions were not lovable at all. It also makes you feel responsible because you accepted the things. Mm-hmm. So it's like, well, how could I say that I didn't want this because I accepted the gifts? I accepted the money. I accepted, you know, the compliments, like all these things. So how could I not have wanted this if I accepted all those things? Yeah. And the perpetrator uses that 
they exactly. take advantage of that to groom you. And that's why they do it. Right. All part of the manipulation. Mm-hmm. That's all part of it. Yeah. yeah. And even talking about sexual harassment in the workplace. So you could have a boss who says to you, um, I, I'll pay you more money mm-hmm. if you do these things. I will give you a higher position if you do these things. I will not fire you if you don't do the, or you do these things. I'll not fire you. So the, it can work in even in um, no actual money changing or um, gift giving, but actual position. So now what we want to do is we're going to repeat some statements. I thought it would be cute if we all repeated these together. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So um, let's repeat the statement. I'll say it first and then we'll say it together. No child at any time under any circumstances consent to sexual activity with an adult. No No child at any time under any circumstances can consent to sexual activity with an adult. Why? Because of the difference in maturity and power, adults always are responsible for their conduct around children. Children cannot be held responsible. Like, I cannot emphasize that enough. People say to me, I've heard this at least a couple of times, that um, I was a child, and although I was a child, I still um, wanted the affection from this person. Sometimes it's a dad, an uncle, whatever. So I, it was as if they wanted it. And they were like, yeah, but I allowed him to touch me. I allowed him to do these things. And it's like, but you were too young to make the decision of what you truly wanted. How are you to know? That's such a, that's a sec, anything to do with sexuality is, is really for an elderly person. And I don't mean like a 90 year old person. <laughs> I mean like someone who's able to make decisions. Someone on whose behalf frontal of cortex yeah, is connected, connected properly. <laughs> right. I mean, I'm, I'm using dummy terms here because that's sometimes what I need to hear, but like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> that's so true. Well, yeah. And I think it goes to show that, you know, even in the, um, childhood sexual abuse, we're talking about power. So even as an adult, you know, when someone abuses you as an adult, they're using power, whether that is a place of position, whether that is someone of authority, whether that is someone who is taking, um, having power over you through substances or any kind of a manipulation. So it isn't just childhood sexual abuse, but a person of power. Um, and that's why something that we were talking about earlier was, um, when you're an adult and you're like, well, Uh, you may be abused as a child, but I was an adult, so I should have known better. Or I'm a lot stronger and I can process it better. So how does that apply to me? Well, power, that's abuse. Mm -hmm. Is someone using power over you in so many different ways. But it doesn't always have to be age. Right, no. It's just simply power. Exactly. It could be whatever the actual thing. Like for me, when I was sexually abused, it was by a teenager. So a lot of people who just asked me the other day and it made me feel so... You know who I'm talking about. Yeah, I do. As soon as you said, who asked me? I was like, I know. Yeah, and it actually made me feel really awkward. They kept saying to me, so how old was he? And I actually don't remember. He could have been 10. He could have been 16. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. That's so besides the point. Right. It's like, okay, I'm going to do the math on like, well. Yeah, but what they were implying was, um, or I felt like they were implying, and I'm sure you do too, Anissa, was that – Oh, but if it wasn't that big of a discrepancy between your ages, then it may have been not as, as serious as the you person, thought. The person go- said, yeah, I was also, <laughs> I don't know if you noticed, I did not chime in this conversation at all because I was like, I know I'm going to come across like too strong. So I'm just going to keep my tiny little beak shut. But um, he said, well, what if he had only been two years older than you? 
And that's when I said, I, I don't even remember what I said, but I think I just laughed it off because I think I felt like, wow, I don't know how to respond to this because all I know is that it makes it seem like you have to literally justify that what happened to you was sexual abuse. Right. It's like, OK, like, I'm sorry. Does there need to be like a minimum age difference for it could to have been be the same age? Person. Exactly. It it's not. not it yeah. could have been a younger person. Yes. It does yeah. not matter. When, yeah. You know, it's something that happened because look at the effects. They're the, they're the same. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lack yeah. of it's mm-hmm. naivety. It's a lack of education. It's a misrepresentation of what abuse is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is why we want to dispel some of those and it does make the victim feel like you're questioning you're trying to pick apart what happened to you I get that question all the time and I'm like well what is it what does it matter Um, because they're making sense of what happened to you and we're hoping to dispel some of that Mm-hmm. you know it's for so, ourselves yes. and for mm-hmm. other people it's totally. so besides the point like it's so beside the point like it doesn't matter you were assaulted you were abused and it doesn't should matter be enough. exactly exactly so this uh, next point, which is the one that I want you guys to repeat after me, um, is ties this all in really what we're talking about, which is regardless of the circumstances, no person ever has the right to force or coerce another person into sexual activity against his or her will. So repeat that, guys. Regardless of the circumstances, no person ever has the right to force or coerce another person into sexual activity against his or her will. It's powerful when you hear that, right? It is. That's, like, so comforting because I feel like it's a great blanket statement. Like we were saying, like, all of the details are beside the point. It's, like, regardless of the circumstances, how old they are, how rich they are, how poor they are, how young they are, it doesn't matter. Regardless it's it's wrong right thank you drop mic boom <laughs> that's it we can end that podcast right here yeah and i think this is some, these statements are things that don't feel like they're actually true at first you feel like maybe you don't want to accept them or believe them and i know for me when i repeat statements like this especially in the beginning of um healing and coming to terms with responsibility i actually felt like i was lying to myself and it's a weird feeling because you're breaking something that feels so true but once you start saying it over and over, you get you start to accept it and believe it. Not because it is a lie that we're telling you to dispel, because it is actually true, you know? So when you first start, at least for me, it felt like I really had to keep doing it. I doubted it at first, yeah. you know? And that's so true. It's and But the reason why we're repeating it is because when you do hear it, it becomes real and then you kind of can put your own spin on it. Mm-hmm. So the next time this person or any other person say that to me, I can remember this and say, hey, hold up. You don't actually need the full details. What you need to know is that regardless of age or circumstance, when someone forces another person to do something, it's sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. Boom. <laughs> so. Exactly. <laughs> so, okay, now we want to discuss others who are around, like co-perpetrators or anyone who played another role when you were being sexually abused. So you must give responsibility to any co-perpetrators. And that person is any person who knowingly aids or allows the person who committed the crime against you to abuse you and to perform an abusive act. So an example of this would be maybe if a daughter was being sexually abused by the father and the daughter went to the mother and told the mother that this was happening and she just looked the other way, ignored it, and didn't do anything to step in or stop the abuse from happening. I cannot tell you how many times this has come to 
us at Trees of Hope where we hear this a part of people's stories and it just breaks my heart because that child, if not believed, is setting is their their life before ahead of them is going to be set up thinking that they can't trust anyone and that the people that they're supposed to trust the most not only are sexually abusing them but they can't even trust their parent when they tell so that just it just sets them up for failure probably in all types of relationships another thing to think about too is like you can get charged like if if you do want to like go the legal route thinking about it like with obstruction of justice And it's like if you are not aiding a person who is being sexually abused, it it is like it's an issue. It's a problem. Like you're not helping. You're not assisting. Like you're keeping justice from coming about. Like that does make you a a coke perpetrator. That does make you a coke perpetrator. Yeah. Also, in the state of Florida, which is where we live, there's a mandatory reporting. So in those cases like when a child discloses that they've been sexually abused the minute you hear that it needs to be reported if nothing gets done that's on that's on the police that's on whoever else is involved but you need to report that something to keep in mind is victims need to place an appropriate share of the responsibility on the person who allowed the abuse most covert perpetrators are not actively involved in sexual abuse but they ignore or discount what they saw or felt was happening. Does anybody have a good example for this? Well, I do think about with me, like there were friends, well, they were my friends at the time and not the best friends, but that I was just telling Nicole earlier, I feel like, you know, when I was in high school, the guy who raped me at a party, I feel like his guy buddies like knew about it. You know, like, and, and what is so insane, and I was saying this just goes to show how unhealthy I was at the time, but I, like, hung out with all of them, that guy included, like, the next weekend. Mm. We were, like, all in my friend's hot tub. And it is just so insane to think that I was so, like, blind to what happened and refusing to acknowledge the severity of it in any way that we were, like, all drinking in my friend's jacuzzi, him there with like all of his best friends it was like our friend group Mm -hmm. and I and I acted like everything was normal and a part of me did feel like okay this is okay it's okay like look nothing's happening right now like it's all good he wasn't treating me any differently which is also just like so insane but um I do believe like now even just going through this current topic and thinking about all these things that those friends were like co-perpetrators at the time especially the one girl that I told who was my best friend and she reframed it in my mind so that I didn't view it as rape when it was rape so I think that that even though they weren't the ones that were actually involved in sexually assaulting me like Nicole had said like a covert perpetrator it's someone who knew what was happening but was just like whatever like (laughs) nothing I'm going to do about it. So, I mean, that was so bizarre for me to think about how those were people like indirectly involved in my sexual assault. Yeah. And I would say, um, you know, maybe a sibling knew about it. They saw something happen, but they may not have been in the age to process it or truly know the extent of it. Um, but even though like it would be hard to call that sibling a co-perpetrator, you would still have to, as a someone who is a victim that's trying to heal you have to go through that feeling of betrayal 
um, that maybe someone didn't tell or fight for you, even if you couldn't understand as a child that they were also a child themselves. So, but you still have to go through that healing process. Um, And I think of, you know, like teachers who have students that come to them and tell them and they do nothing about it. They're legally responsible to report um, or anyone in any kind of um, helping job. And if they see something and they see a client that go into a home um, and they see negligence and um, strangers are watching their children, I know of of instances where they don't say anything and someone's like, you're legally responsible to tell, you know, but they didn't. Yeah, I think that it can be really, really weighty to call someone a co-perpetrator. Like, it seems very hard and just like, but I think this is my personal opinion. I'm not speaking on behalf of like anyone else. I feel like it's almost better while you're processing and healing and working through everything to err on the side of like, totally like you know finding every single person responsible in order to get you thinking about how nothing was your fault and like it just makes you and then too it makes you realize like weird roots of bitterness that you didn't know you had once you start evaluating like I do find them responsible and then it just gets you thinking about like and you know what else it really did hurt me that you know I had an eating disorder for so long and no one cared until like I was about I was like literally I did pass out when I was in call you know it's like how come it took so long for anyone to really care I think it makes you like just drudge up enough to like really catapult yourself like forward in your whole healing process yeah I think I relate to that it's kind of what I had to do because I was holding so much responsibility even like I said earlier responsibility to protect my family and to you know honor them and of course I do but I had to work through my anger towards everybody like I got to a point where I was angry at everyone because I looked at everyone and said you didn't you had a feeling and you didn't go through with it you chose to see what you wanted to see those were the things I felt whether they were true or not Um, But I had to process that and I did come to a place where I grieved so hard um, that I felt betrayed by my entire family. Um, And that might be hard for a family member to hear, but that will reveal why I have distanced myself at times and um, help them understand why I did. Um, But the goal is to move forward and get through that forgiveness part that keeps you stuck. And but I needed that. I didn't want to avoid that. Eventually, I didn't Um, like but like you said, it unlocked a new layer of letting go of the responsibility in myself, basically. I love that. And that's the point. That's really what we want you to get out of this specific episode is the responsibility of everyone around you, anybody who played a role, anyone who knew, anyone who ignored is not on you. It's on the right person. And you have to, not to get angry so where that you're like frustrated at the world walking around with like your finger up in the air, mm-hmm. but more like so that you can heal because there's a grieving process and you have to walk through that. And one part, part of the grieving process is anger. Mm-hmm. And I was just recently talking to my um, life coach that basically said that, you know, I have anger about certain things that have happened in my life and towards certain people. And she's like, I said, I'm angry. And I said, she goes, are you, you're ready to, you're in the grieving process right now because you're angry. 
And I never heard that before. I actually thought that the anger was first, then you go into grieving, the grieving process. And she's like, no, that's a part of it. And I'm like, oh, so do you think I'll be like positive <laughs> in a couple <laughs> of weeks? And she was like, yeah, you will, because it's a process. Yeah. And, and, and so like when Mariah says that she distanced herself from her family, she, that's, that's a part of that process that we're talking about. She doesn't do that currently. No. Yes. She protects herself in some areas, but that's also called putting healthy boundaries in place. Yeah. And it did hurt my family. It did hurt them, but I needed to, so that I could actually even love them better as I even loved myself better. And I think that, um, it's really important, and I, I think it is important for you to see that you need to grieve and to be kind to yourself in that, and um, knowing that even denial is part of grief. So if you can even look up like the stages of general grief, and if you haven't gone through those stages, I personally believe that maybe you haven't truly grieved yet. Yeah. And you know what? No one can force you in that process, no. too, because like I know I've gotten phone calls from family members and they're like, well, you need to deal with this because this person's not going to be around long. And I'm like, I said to this person specifically that I go, I need to go at this at my own pace and I need to feel comfortable with that. And I need you to respect my my time and I said, if this person dies in that time period, then that's my problem. That's on me. Like that's, that's really not good. you and you need to not control me. <laughs> that's good though. I mean, you can't like force feelings. It's like trying to force someone <laughs> to be vulnerable. Like it's literally impossible. Like you can't force yourself. Also something that I learned when I was in counseling was that the grieving process, there are like, there's a, a general, um, like step by step, like what's it a uh, not timetable, but it's like, mm -hmm. I, yeah, I guess what I'm, like, ultimately trying to say is, like, everyone goes through the stages, like, differently. And so, like, there's not, like, number one angry, number two sad, number three. Mm -hmm. Like, you can go through, like, all the steps so differently than someone else. And for me, I felt like I was stuck in the bargaining stage of the grieving process for a very long time for some reason but I did feel like okay isn't this supposed to be like step seven but I don't feel that healed and my counselor was like you're so cute there's not like a actual jet like order that you have to go through this and but I do like so agree with everything Nicole and Mariah are saying especially like look up the stages and if you haven't experienced like the majority of them then maybe you need to evaluate like where you really are yeah, and confront the issue is all we're asking mm -hmm. to do to to see that. And it's not an issue. It's just confront it and um, search, you know, within and be a person for other people to not say, well, it's been like six months. Maybe you should be over this stage. But to say, you'll get there. Yeah. You may not be able to see it now, but you'll get there in your own time. And that's important to be kind to yourself in the process. That's so different than saying like, are you going to be like this forever? Oh you gosh, know, yeah. and I've had, I have had people say that to me and it just pushes, puts pressure on you that actually kind of keeps you stuck or force yourself to rush it. Mm -hmm. So anyway, and just one thing I want to mention, this is also for the parent who is looking out for their child. So we're bringing up a bunch of different things and obviously you don't want to be a co-perpetrator. You don't want to be someone who's negligent or any of those things. And, and we know that we also, when we become parents, we don't want to 
be those things. So the things that we're learning here is to start conversations with your children, to invest in them, communicate with them. Nothing is off limits. Be comfortable in the uncomfortable. So be inquisitive about their friends, asking them the questions. Who are you hanging out with? What are you doing? When you go over there, who's all there? When um, you, well, we don't, suggest sleepovers at all but if you ever allow the child to be in in some other people's presence without you being there you say who was all there did anyone make you feel uncomfortable did anyone do anything that made you feel odd and those are the types of things that you can really start doing now that can lead you to having a great relationship with your child but also taking off the stigma that we don't because like in my home we didn't talk about sex at all it was like you just don't talk about it so you didn't talk about your body parts that were sexually related you didn't talk about my period so it was like even if I did have something to say I would have felt like it was shameful to say it and so my mom recently love you but she was like why didn't you tell us about what happened and i said because i felt a lot of shame and she's like you like felt shame because she knows me like i don't feel shame but in wow well i do i envy that (laughs) i am shameless in many things but i also am shameful in the things that my family unit has made me believe were shameful which is anything to do with your the JJ or your boobies <laughs> your boobettes <laughs> or your emotions vulnerability too. and yeah. weakness yeah so um because of that it was like you know you definitely don't bring it up <laughs> I mean even when I got my girl thing my menses my mom <laughs> my girl thing <laughs> it was like the oddest conversation with my mom you know and then it was a celebratory dinner like with my whole family which I thought was really odd that is really <laughs> odd. Your whole family came over. Yeah, they were like your mom you made like a leave. roast duck. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> she didn't. Do, she like made me like my favorite chicken cordon bleu. Oh my god! Chicken cordon bleu. <laughs> my that is really from France. <laughs> cute. No, this is a sad moment. This is not a cute moment. That there was a big family celebration <laughs> when you became a woman. Yeah. There it was, was a, mari- a mariachi band. There. Yeah. <laughs> no. Okay, so the other thing we want to talk about is um, when we're when we're referencing uh, co-perpetrators or negligence and things like that. We also want to talk about caretakers that might have been too busy, too troubled by the situation to get involved or to to um, find out more from the victim. Kind of like what we were talking about in the prevention side. Don't be that parent. (laughs) So the main issue here is for the survivor to acknowledge that others are responsible for not protecting them. And so one of the things I want to encourage you to do, and I tell people this when they come through Trees of Hope, is to get a journal and write down everyone you think is responsible. Anyone that you think played a role, if it's sexually abused you, knew, or if it's were negligent, didn't and ignored you, um, whatever role they played, we want you to write them down. Because you need to assign the appropriate responsibility to all who could have been accountable rather than to let it continue to take any responsibility for the abuse. So another thing that I would say to do is when you're able to heal, something we do at Trees of Hope is um, after you write all these names down, is that you we do this cute little craft thing, right? Mariah, you know about this, with the throwing the rock in the water and letting go. No, you don't want to talk about that? Oh, no, I don't know that. 
Oh. You don't want to talk about that. I was like, no, you don't want to talk about that? We didn't do that. Oh, okay. Sorry, but I know that. Yeah, it's a cute thing that we do, and it's kind of like in this section. Oh, got it. Sorry. So where they basically say, now, like, release the anger from that person. It's going to sink to the bottom. Bottom. Yeah. So it's just a, so a little craft that we do at Trees of Hope. It's it's cute, it, and it's helpful, you know, if you have anger and you have, like, these people in your life that you need to forgive we're not saying go ahead and just recklessly forgive people left and right. We're saying when you can and when you feel like forgiveness is literally what you're feeling, you go ahead and do this action because I think it's helpful. And it's just taking a box of rocks or a bag of rocks to the beach. And for every person that played a role, sexually abused you, co-perpetrated you, were negligent towards you. I even put my ex-boyfriends who wounded me with their words or whatever um, th- throw it in the water and release them and forgive them and move on. It's a very like clear your head kind of moment, but I've known people to bring like bags uh, of rocks <laughs> and it's like whatever bring- makes you happy, whatever brings you joy in doing that, like however many rocks you need to release, just do that. Yeah, it gives you a physical representation yeah, about to and say, yeah. you know, some kind of image. And I think just on the side of... Um, again, we're just talking about what you need as you heal. I think sometimes it's hard for us because maybe our caregivers were victims themselves. Maybe, you know, there was just so much destruction in the family and maybe they were depressed or maybe they just worked so hard and they weren't there. So we feel bad or we feel like we're blaming them when we realize like, well, they just, they were victims themselves. So I shouldn't I shouldn't blame them for this. They're not responsible. But I think just realizing and just understanding that, of course, you have that understanding of maybe that situation, but you still have to go through, eventually confront um, your feelings of betrayal even in that, that you feel like they should have been there for you. You were a child. Um, And even though you may feel like, oh, this is dishonoring. I feel like I'm blaming them. I shouldn't. You still want to confront the idea of, having them be a rock you throw in, you know, so you can truly move forward without any of that hidden bitterness or disappointment. Right. And one of the books that we do here is called Restoring Relationships, and it's so helpful. Anissa and I are actually walking through it right now. It hurts. It's... (laughs) It hurts so good. (laughs) Well, when you said the word bitterness, what I didn't realize is I have that, and I have thought that I've released people from that, but he was talking about how um, if you have hate, and uh, well, it first starts with like a root, as in like the anger towards something, and if it's never dealt with, it turns into hate, then it turns into bitterness, and then it's like resentment. Vengeance. Yeah, hurt, hate, harm. Yeah, hurt, hurt, hate, hate, harm. Whoa. And so I realized that I have a lot of hate in my heart because hurt hate so I was hurt never dealt with it turned into hate now I feel like I harm people even if it's in my own mind with my words Mm -hmm. and then you know the bible talks about um out of the heart the mouth speaks which means those words have been rooted in my heart about these people and then harm Gosh, this guy says so many good things. Yeah, as Nicole's talking, I'm thinking about like how he said something affected you, but then it infected you. 
and he gave an example of how he had like a cut on his arm and his mom didn't know how bad it was so she just put this like um slight topical and a like ointment on it and covered it and she covered the wound before it had been properly healed and he was talking about how we do that like we'll just hurry and cover something because it's like time to move on and how he said then within the next like two days day it was so infected the area was so swollen and red and that when anyone like touched around it he gave like an extreme reaction because that area was infected and so he was like so when you have a really extreme reaction to something someone is lightly touching on an area that is wounded and needs to be cleaned and healed and I'm like thinking about how I yelled at my husband like the day before and I'm like oh right (laughs) me too I mean gosh it's your most intimate relationships that are going to feel the effects of the wounds that you have which by the way let me read a quote that I posted today on Instagram and if you're not following on following me on Instagram please do so shameless plug yeah my name is nick joy escobar and it says if you don't heal what hurt you you'll bleed on people who didn't cut you Mm -hmm. and i thought that was so good because i definitely do that and i don't realize how bad it is sometimes until i feel a lot of shame Mm -hmm. from my words and so big gulp And just saying that, like, we want you to be whole and healthy people. We talk about that all the time. And I think one of the first things is is taking responsibility off yourself for certain things and making sure others are responsible for that. But then walking through the grieving process and also forgiving, you know, that's the most important step, I think, of it all. Because we say it all the time. We don't want you to just be living. We want you to be thriving and forgiveness is at the forefront of that because if you don't forgive you're never going to thrive I promise you that yeah and this is part of feeling it you know he also says what you if you can't feel it it won't you can't heal it and in the sense of like a leper they can't feel it the pain and pain's supposed to tell you something's wrong and if we shut and freeze those emotions because we don't want to keep getting hurt or it hurts too much to realize that someone else betrayed you as a co-perpetrator it's enough to handle it's enough to process that someone you loved and trust um had so much destruction in your life it even hurts more to know um, that there could be someone else a part of it. But if you continue to freeze that down, you're going to have a hard time to experience healing. So this is just part of us being able to process that so we can heal it as hard as it is. Um, we do need to let ourselves feel, even if it is super painful. And that's why we do encourage you in this journey to get a counselor because those feelings may be very intense. And that's why you've frozen them because it's too much to bear. But um, it is possible to do. Absolutely. So just the last couple of things I want to mention is um, just a little takeaways is assigning responsibility does not mean you're blaming, okay? It just means you're assigning responsibility. And it also means that you're speaking the truth in love. Blaming is about holding on to the need to punish, right? We talked about that, seeking vengeance and stuff. So we do encourage you to think about the ways that you have been avoiding acknowledging any roles played in your life by those who have aided or allowed this abuse to happen. It can be very difficult to think about it and think about other people playing this role. And um, so that's why we just don't want you to stop here, right? We want you to deal with this. We want you, again, to be thriving. So we do encourage you to think about the ways that you have been avoiding or acknowledging 
acknowledging any roles played in your abuse by those who aided or allowed the abuse to happen. And we know it can be very difficult to think about other people playing any role in what happened to you. And Mariah, you had something awesome to say because, you know, sometimes people say, well, this poor person, this is why they did this. Yeah, I think we can, in a way, because we're confused, rationalize why they abused you. And we can go to those statements of like, well, you know, they were um, disturbed as a child because they were abused or they were neglected or um, they were depressed or, you know, and try to justify because they were abused. And the reality is, is there are many people that were abused and didn't abuse someone else either. So like not rationalizing maybe what happened. And I think there are some people that can go so quickly to the abuser because they, they can't understand, especially in a family sense, they can't understand why they would do something like that. So they can go straight, well, to the well what happened to them there must have been something that happened to them that they would do do this to you which is okay to ask but not discount that person first like without just saying it doesn't matter what happened to them and being able to just think that maybe on their own Mm -hmm. and and try to process that but never tell the the person who has been abused by that person or you as a, a survivor or a victim to not rationalize what happened by giving excuses to maybe what happened to them I think it's just like trying to make sense of things in your mind to like process because I know I did that so I feel like it is just like trying to sort it all out and figure out like why did this happen to me yep which goes back to you know saying those truth statements right that we talked about before because it's important that you say those to yourself because I think like an example would be if you don't mind telling me what you're the thought process was it was um because when I was in high school the boy who raped me his dad was a veteran and um was like really obviously I can look back now as an adult and see like he struggled with alcoholism he was a very absent father like hardly present and so I felt like okay of course like this guy is going to do something like this and not really think it's bad because if he doesn't have a father figure in his life and like you know his dad's always passed out drunk like alcohol is always in the house like he doesn't really know how to like I don't want to say use alcohol in a healthy way but like have boundaries and so I just looked at I did look at his home life and I looked at how like he didn't have a relationship with his mom his dad was always passed out drunk and like clearly struggling with like PTSD and depression and I felt like oh my gosh this poor guy like I just feel really sorry for him and I know that that was me just trying to like make the situation make sense and like be better like not so bad did you have other friends that had struggled with alcoholism's parents like actually crazy enough I think like I clearly had a um a type and that was people with alcoholic parents um like I feel like the majority of the guys that I did that's not true just two two guys I dated in high school both of they came from single parent homes and there's nothing wrong with that it's just they came from single parent homes and one guy it was his dad and then this other guy dated who um I've talked about him before he just was like a very dark person and introduced me to a lot but his mom was an alcoholic but he wasn't like a a rapist this guy so So it it does come down to yes it's yeah Nicole is right but I just think it is such like a natural tendency I think it even is to like cope with things is just to have answers because we think that having answers will somehow make things easier when you have an explanation and it's like well now I can move forward because I understand 
Yeah, that, I was just reading this book um, by Levi Lusco, I Declare War, and he talks about in the book how um, he was doing a study study on Brene Brown's latest book. I forget the name of the book, so please forgive me. Um, it's about leading. And she talks about how um, our brain, she's, an, she's a neuropsychiatrist, um, oh, okay. yeah. She was talking about how um, when our brain, when we don't know the end of a story, our brains to survive, we have, oh, we create endings and that helps us cope. That helps us deal. It helps us get through life protectively of ourselves. So a lot of times what we'll do is create these assumptions of what the end of the story will look like. And it actually is like a dopamine for us because it fills our heart with peace. And so what he was encouraging us to do is to remind ourselves, like, we don't know the end we don't know why this happened and you have to be comfortable in that and that should be the end of the story and I know that's so black and white but it the when, when I heard it it actually encouraged me because there's a couple of situations I'm going through right now where I don't know why something's happening and I had to stop myself and go are you trying to build the case right now are you trying to figure out are you trying to um have an end scene like on this and then when I saw that I was doing that I said but you don't know and that should be is that enough for you can that be the end scene for you and and it's and it's okay this is what worked for me I'm not saying it works for everybody it's interesting though no it's really good if you're a Christian you know well on this side of heaven we won't know the ending of things and that's so hard to come to terms with but if you're a Christian it's like the end is I'll be with Jesus in eternity right. and none of this will matter. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think screamed. it's another way of control. <gasps> like you've even told me before, mm-hmm. you're like, Oh, you're still trying to control even just figuring it out and like controlling the process of healing and try to control something that you didn't have control over. You know what I mean? And you've even said that to me and I'm like, Oh yeah, that's true. Oh, so I do have tokens. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Little nuggets. Yes, you do. Of course. <laughs> Woo. I always applaud myself for having those because sometimes I don't feel like I do. Those are insecurities, y'all. But sometimes you always wonder, like, am I affecting people's lives? You definitely are. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so we're ending here. We love you guys so much. And again, if you're struggling with um, the blame, if you're saying I'm not ready to take the blame off myself, I'm not ready to um, call someone else responsible, We want you to know that you need to go at your own pace. This is your life. It's your choices. It's your story. But we just ask that you just keep coming back. We love you. We'll see you next week. Bye. See ya. Bye. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. We would love for you to subscribe so that you can get each and every episode right away. We'd also love to see you rate, review, and share this podcast with your friends. Every time you share this podcast, it not only means the world to us, but it also gives us more exposure. So to learn more about us, go to treesofhope.org. Bye.